Welcome to the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. I'm your host, Claire Sieber, global career and leadership coach, facilitator, speaker, and founder of Eating Your Cake 2, a business focused on helping you take control of your career and leadership success. Right here on this podcast, you'll learn how to amplify your influence, accelerate your career growth, create real presence, and have a true impact by learning the tools and strategies that you need to show up with more courage, more confidence, and more clarity. Are you ready? Let's do it. Meet Marcia Lawrence. Marcia is a human resources professional based in Perth, a mother of two kids, is partnered to a very supportive husband and an avid foodie with a black belt in martial arts. Marcia is a wealth of knowledge and has had an adventurous career with a full gamut of experiences to share. At the age of just 21, she moved to China to take up a management traineeship at a five-star hotel and ended up staying for another seven years. That experience in China taught Marcia a lot about the role that gender stereotypes play in how we live our lives and ultimately how that shapes our careers. More recently, Marcia completed her master's in HR, 60% of which was completed during parental leave taken after the arrival of her second child. On top of all of this, Marcia also speaks fluent Mandarin. I think you will love this episode of the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. Let's dive in. All righty. Well, welcome to the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast, Marcia Lawrence. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Really glad to be here. Tell me, now we were having a little bit of a conversation the first time we spoke and I am very excited for our listeners to hear about your career journey in today's episode. But before we kind of get into all of that jazz, do you want to just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do and what a day in your life is like at the moment? So if I look at how do I define myself, well, I'll look at some key key words that we use. I'm a mum. So I'm a mum of two children. In fact, I have two children that are quite far apart in terms of age. I have an 11-year-old and a three-year-old. I have an active and very supportive partner. I am a human resources professional with my master's under my belt. And I, random things about me, I speak Mandarin. I have a black belt in martial arts and I've had a really interesting journey. And I, when I have conversations with people, I think I take it for granted. One person even said it was really lit. I found that fascinating when he said that. But it really made me stop and think and say, yeah, maybe I have had an interesting journey. And maybe it is interesting to other people as well. I definitely think you have got a, a, a colourful career journey. <laughs> even in the brief time that we have had together, some of the stories that you've shared and just where you've been and what you've done and what you've learned along the way. I think absolutely. And, and a well, everybody has a story. I think the way we think about our own stories as well and the way that we even share those with the world also impacts the people around us. So I think absolutely you should be sharing a little bit more about yours with people. And I would agree that it is definitely lit. So... <laughs> So with that, with that in mind, like let's tap into it. You've got, you have got such a, a fabulous career journey. And I know, I know you're still sort of just getting started. You've recently moved into a new role. You've got lots of things that that you still want to do, especially in the HR space. But 
would love to hear from you, particularly with the overseas experience that I know really kind of kicked off your career. Can you share a little bit with us about, you know, where you started in your journey and it took you overseas and what that experience was like? So to do so, I'm going to have to take you on a journey and really go quite far back and really explain how it is that I've been given the opportunities that I have in my life. So as a teenager, my mum had actually rejoined the workforce when I was finishing primary school. She educated herself. She put herself through college and became a teacher librarian. She saved up her income to be able to pay for my university degree. So I was very privileged to be able to have that, especially coming from a low socioeconomic um, background. I studied Mandarin. I was very lucky that my parents invested in their private school education. Not that I believe it's better, but simply that it gave me different opportunities. And Mandarin is not something that was offered at that time at many public schools at all. I think Mount Lawley was one of the only ones. Mm. So I persisted through and studied two languages for the space of five years. I studied Italian, which I can barely speak a single word of. And I studied Mandarin, got to the end of high school and went, what do I do with my life? I I don't know what I'm good at. But one thing I'm good at is that language. So I actually went to university to study Mandarin. At the age of 19, I hopped on a plane to a place called Hangzhou, which is about one to two hours train or ride or driving, sorry, to Shanghai. As I'm flying down and landing on the tarmac, we stop and I look out the window and there are three military guards marching in unison towards us. Here I am, 19, thinking, what is going to go on? Are they going to search me? Are they going to search the plane? Like, what is happening? No, that was just general procedure at that time. I got into my university dormitory and I cried. I cried because everything was grey in the middle of winter. It was a concrete jungle. I said, what have I done? What's this decision I have done at the age of 19? I'm all alone in this foreign country. Yes, I speak some of the language, but, gee, they speak fast. Over the next 10 months, I really grew to fall in love with China. And so much so that I almost think it's, it's part of my destiny that I had to go there so it was some writings on the wall that meant that China was actually going to be part of my life and it still continues to be in many unique and different ways so I spent a year there and absolutely loved it and by the time I'd finished my last exam I already had a job set up to work in a place called Chongqing in 2001 so just after the millennium we'd all settled down I moved to China for the first time into a management traineeship so a management role at the age of 22 This was a really interesting place. And when I talk about Chongqing, it is a melting pot in terms of heat. It is smack bang (laughs) in the middle of China. It's right up on the three gorges based around the river. So it's interesting that people's livelihood are also based around the river as well. Now, one thing to note, this is the most populous city in the world. Even back in 2001, there were more than 30 million people living in that one city. They speak a different dialect. And they eat totally different food. Everyone knows Sichuan food. Well, Chongqing food is actually spicier. So I spent two years there and I was really drawn in and started to see things quite, I guess you take them for granted because at a young age you learn them and that's just how things are. Now, I I guess a couple of times in this conversation, I'll touch upon the importance of advocacy and the importance of others really 
noticing talent and being able to draw them in and build them up. So I had a tap on the shoulder. We had a guest in our hotel. So I, I worked in a hotel. We had a guest in a hotel who was a vice president for a major hotel brand in Asia Pacific. And I do remember him one day, he handed me his card because you always hand someone your card with two hands in China and you always accept it with two hands. And he said, if you ever want a job, call me. So when my contract was up, I called him. And within a couple of weeks, I had a job lined up in Beijing. Beijing is amazing. I lived in Beijing for five years. And there were, you know, it, it was an amazing city. And it still is in terms of culture and history. And I remember going into the leadership team there. And it's interesting because back in 2003, there was gender parity or close to it on the leadership team at that stage. Mm -hmm. Australia, we weren't even anywhere close to that. And I guess I just took it for granted that women were in leadership roles and that women were part of the conversation. I worked six days a week, worked very hard for very little money, but it was an amazing experience. And if I think back to some of the best workplace cultures I've worked in, in Beijing, that was one of them really a, a close-knit team where we often had those robust conversations and it's changed a lot there now but if I think back to those times there's so many little bits and pieces that I can draw out of it but for me it was a big part of my journey and I guess it has shaped my thinking because of that you know the, those eight years in my early career mm. were spent in China. What an incredible story. I feel like I just have so many questions for you even about your experience. Just such an early stage in your in your career in a foreign country, learning, you know, a new job in a in a new country with a totally different culture. Like we could go on for days, I think even just about that alone. But what really strikes me around your story as well as is, is what you were saying in terms of you almost didn't know what you didn't know in that from the get-go you observed that there was kind of parity in, in terms of leadership positions and, and people sitting around the table in China. And then I imagine you come back to Australia eventually and you say, mm, interesting, that's not the case here. And one of the things that, that has also stuck with me from when we first spoke, you used this phrase along the lines of women, women lift up half the sky as something that I think was shared with you when you were in China. And that has really, has really stuck with me. I probably haven't even phrased it correctly. But can you share with us a little bit about that as well and what that has meant to you in terms of the early stages of your career? Fantastic. Thank you. So the phrase is actually women hold up half hold up. the sky. There's lots of idioms in China that help explain. It's the story behind it. They help explain how does this guide us? How does this guide us and what we do? So we need to go back again. Another history lesson here <laughs> in terms of Chinese history. So maybe everyone has heard of the, the challenges they had in China in the 1950s and Mao Zedong and his regime around revolution. During that time, they realised that they weren't going to be able to achieve what they wanted to if women weren't participating in the workforce. So they put in lots of different initiatives. There were lots of laws that were changed in the 1950s, including um, abolishing prostitution, abolishing arranged marriages, which was so much tied to the Chinese culture and giving more rights to women. This phrase, women hold up half the sky, was attributed to Mao Zedong in 1968. It could have been earlier, but basically where 
the country realised that to be able to succeed as a society, women needed to contribute to the workforce. And they do. And they did. Mm -hmm. And even if we look at Australia, women are participating in the workforce at extremely high levels. But the two cultures are very different in terms of when we actually gave those rights, but also how society and culture is structured in those two different countries. So if we look at China, for example, although women only have three months in which they can take parental leave, it's Mm. still maternity leave over there, it's such a short period of time, the societal structure is set up so that you often live in a multi-generational household. So there'll often be grandchildren, parents and grandparents all living in the same household. And so the, I guess you could say the, the family roles are quite different over there and often the grandparents will be the one to help provide support. So if you look at community, women actually have a lot of support in China. So although they may take only three months off from work, once they're back, they're back into it very quickly mm. because they do have support in the home. And a lot of that mental load that we talk about, that yeah. maternal mental load isn't there because they're actually receiving support. So much so that in the professional sphere, actually a lot of women earn more than men, which is an interesting when you start to talk in Australia about the gender pay gap is looking at the differences between these two societies. So for me, I really look at that and say, well, in Australia, we've lost that whole, it is the society, it is the collective that brings up the children. Actually bringing up children now often falls on one or two people Mm. in a family, whichever gender those parents are, it falls on those two parents. And we don't necessarily have as much input in terms of living in the same area as grandparents or aunties or uncles. Now I am generalizing because there are cultures in Australia that do still have very strong bonds with family and that parenting is definitely shared. But that is one of the challenges with the changes in society is that for the majority of women, especially women who are mothers, they don't necessarily have that support. So where women in China can go back to work very quickly and don't have to have a break from their career, it often is seen in Australia that we'll take one year off, two year Mm. off and, and two years off. And you'll hear about it on the radio where they talk about the penalties, the maternal penalties, which is strongly linked to our society, the way we do things, and that means our culture. Mm, Absolutely. And what has your experience been since coming back from China? Obviously, you you lived in China for seven years or eight years. You experienced all of that. You saw the different way that the culture plays out, the gender roles that people play, and then you've come back to Australia and you continued on your career here. And so what have you observed or have you experienced upon returning? So I guess it's allowed me to question those gender roles so much so that it's made a very big difference on the decisions I've made in my life. Mm. So in a few moments, I'll talk about honesty and transparency, but I actually am divorced. And one of the reasons was gender stereotypes actually really played into that. I do remember at that stage, um, I was the primary breadwinner for quite a a period of time. Mm. And my son's father was, I guess you could say, a stay-at-home parent. But because of gender stereotypes, was not comfortable in engaging our son. 
in activities such as swimming, etc. Because dads at that stage didn't do that. So I'm going back 12 years now. And very rarely would you see dads taking their children swimming during weekdays. Weekends, absolutely. But being a stay-at-home parent at the time, the gender stereotypes actually reinforce that that men shouldn't be doing mm. these things because you don't see other men doing these things. And it made it really hard because for myself, I placed my son's needs above those gender stereotypes. So it really got me thinking about how I would like to live my life. And so the changes that it's led to now is I had another child three years ago at the age of 40. And I really questioned myself on what I wanted to achieve. And I said, you know what, I'm taking this full two years. Now I'm going to get my master's done. Well, I didn't start it until he was six months old. So I got 60% of my master's done during that time and really invested in myself and said, I'm not going to let this career break impact me negatively. I'm actually Mm. going to see this as an opportunity, not only to invest in being a parent and and my child's needs, but also invest in myself. And I did that. And I came back from parental leave and in within the space of a few months, left my job without another job to go to. And people are like, oh my gosh, that's brave. (laughs) I'm like, no, I don't see that as brave. I see that as being true to myself and knowing now that if this is not right for me anymore, that I'm I'm okay. I don't need to survive paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. I'm okay. I can do this because I need to do this for myself. It's the right thing to do. So my experiences in China, I guess, have led me to kind of question those stereotypes and say, no, that's 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 not for me. And so I continue to talk to a lot of people. Again, let's go back to that honesty and transparency mm. in saying, well, I am the breadwinner in my family. My husband currently is studying full time. He's part of the Great Resignation and he's decided he's going to change the direction of his career. And I'm so happy to support him in doing that and saying, what stereotype? Let's just challenge those stereotypes and let's just do what's important to us. And yes, we may be impacted by other people's biases, absolutely. But we need to stay true to who we are and what we want to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you're saying. And and what I'm hearing as well is there's obviously there's a huge amount of emphasis and as there should be on what are we doing to to close the gap and support women more to make to take the the emotional load the physical load the mental load off of women as much and allow them to participate in the workforce in the way that they want to not just the way that we've been boxed to Mm -hmm. but what I'm hearing a little bit as well from you is that we there's also a part we need to play in almost how are we supporting men to support women to achieve these things as well because it sounds like certainly from the story that you're sharing, it, even tr- like trying to embrace those roles and trying to do things a little bit differently has still been met with surprise or curiosity or whatever phrase we want to use from people that are, that are not used to perhaps at see, seeing it play out that way. And over time, only when we see things happening do we actually mm. start to change the culture and the norms So, for example, if we talk about supporting men, there's a really interesting conversation that's happening right now around parental leave. It's actually one of my bugbears when people call it maternity leave Mm -hmm. because that that actually excludes men from that. And let's look at it this way. How many people have the opportunity to spend that one-on-one time with their child when they're little and be encouraged to do so? So while we've changed the name of parental leave, are men actually encouraged in their organizations and in Australian society to actually take that time Mm. 
And there's steps, definitely, I can see that's happening with the new government in place to be able to change things. But ultimately, it's great if we have that policy there. But if everyone's discouraged from using it, then it's just token. It's actually not going to make a difference. So imagine a world in which men have to go, men, the other partner, the, we call the secondary partner, it may not be a man, are able to take that time when the child is young to bond with their child and be able to spend that time and share that experience with their partner because you'd never have that experience again with that child and actually be able to take that time where CEOs and CFOs are taking this time to be with their kids and those that are in junior middle management positions are seeing it and saying oh it's okay I can do that I actually want to do that but now I'm actually encouraged to do that oh, the CEO's off today because his kids are sick. Oh, okay, that's great. That means that when my kids are sick, Mm. I can actually do the same. So I think role modelling plays a big part in here, but also is the role of women actually looking at, well, what norms do we put in place? What policies, practices, if we talk about the organisational structure, do we have in place that actually makes it harder for men to be in those other roles, including being a parent. And when you look at my role, working in human resources and human resources is, I guess, more female dominated as a field. We have the opportunity to examine those processes as we do with looking at females and what we can do to support women in the workplace, but also what can we do to support men? Because ultimately we always talk about that female or maternal mental load. Well, the only reason why that maternal load is there either is because we place this upon us or society expects women to be the ones who pick it up because, again, going back, the 40-hour working week was designed 100 years ago when men were the primary breadwinners. It doesn't necessarily serve my purpose to be working a 40-hour mm. week. In fact, both of us working a 40-hour week makes it really challenging. But when we start to say flexibility, this is about anyone who needs flexibility to manage their life so it's really looking at well yeah it's great that we're making progress with supporting women but how can we also tackle some of those societal and cultural issues that mean that men actually feel discouraged from being able to embrace who they are outside of work and being better for it rather than just you know being their professional identity only Yes, absolutely. Imagine a world where we could just decide as a family unit exactly how we want to live our lives, how we want to run our careers, and then do that accordingly, <laughs> which sounds like, well, well, why can't we? But as you're saying, like in, in, in theory, it's great. In practice, it's not always that easy because of the societal constructs, because of the barriers that are in place, because of the cultures in organisations. And I resonate a lot with what you were sharing before around, you know, how are we, how, how are we or how are organisations as well really making it easy for men to also step into that role mm. of uh, to take parental leave or to take a, a genuine amount, a good amount of time off also to be with and bond with their child. And, well, the policy might say that they can in practice we know that it's not necessarily that easy. And I actually can think of a real world example of even a, a, an individual, a, 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 quite a senior male that I was having a conversation with a couple of weeks ago who's due to have a child. 
and wants to, you know, would like to take time, a good amount of time off to be with that child. And, and the HR team have actually been encouraging him to do that because of, to, to your point, the role modeling that that sets and the example that that sets. Yet the, I call it peer stink eye <laughs> or the peer, the peer pressure that is actually coming from the organization. So the people outside of HR and that are saying things like, oh, you're not really going to take that amount of time off, are you? Or you're not really going to have more than like three weeks. You'll be back. Here's the projects we need you to deliver on. You know, we're not, we're not really going to be able to function or your, your career is going to suffer actually if you're not here. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly around it's great to have the policy. It's great to say that it's okay, but is it actually falling down in practice because of the culture that is truly in play at the organisation and the biases and the baggage that people are still bringing that's impacting the, the freedom and, and the decisions that people are actually able to make because of the fear of what is the impact on this, really of this going to be on my career or what is the impact of this actually going to be on my, on my livelihood if I take that time off. So I think you're spot on. That's a really interesting comment that they would make because mm. they've actually just acknowledged that women taking time off to have children has penalties. So the question is, why? Sorry, what, mm-hmm. why would a woman's career suffer because she took time off? I look at it this way. I have developed new skills and reinforced new skills, or reinforced skills, by becoming a parent. So if I look at my resilience, my patience, my ability to organise that nappy bag, if you did not have that down pat, you were going to suffer. So (laughs) just looking at these things in terms of how about we, rather than taking time off, we're actually just taking time to develop ourselves Mm. in other parts of our life and we actually come back better. We come back with new skills and we embrace that. I think yeah. the, the words that we use, and we talk about gendered language, guys, you know, reinforce this whole gender stereotype of men being in leadership roles. Let's ask those questions and let's use those words differently rather than allowing them to reinforce, yeah, we're taking a career yeah. break. No, I'm not taking a break from my career. I'm just taking time to invest in areas that are important to me mm. because when I am back at that desk, I bring so much more. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous point. Fabulous point. And, and, and it's about also just taking a macro view of our lives as a whole, isn't it? Right. Like we, we can't, it's not, life is not so segmented as to say I'm all career or now I'm all child or now I'm all, all relationships or now I'm all leisure or however you want to look at it. Like life is messy and complicated and multi-layered and all of these things are and can and should be able to happen at the same time without punishment. It's not saying that it's easy. It's not saying that it doesn't require support, but it's saying that the, one of the reasons we shouldn't we shouldn't have to sacrifice those things should not be because society's telling us that we can't do it. And that's that is the frustration that I hold. What do you what do you think organizations, but obviously the culture we've sort of touched on, but what do you think organizations can and should be doing? either more of or less of, to support to support women, but also to support men, to support women, to ultimately support society better as well. 
So there's a lot of work that organisations are doing right now. Mm. But the baseline, the foundation, which is going back through and actually looking at all your policies, practices, mm. structure, processes, how do these support or potentially even reinforce those gender stereotypes? So yeah. simple things like we talk about changing your terminology from maternity leave to parental leave, little things like that. Maybe even looking at when you're developing a paid parental leave program, how do we actually set it up in a way that men are encouraged to do so? Because it's really interesting if you if you look at social media and sometimes the comments are really interesting on some of these posts. I saw one come up recently with regards to parental leave. Mm. A lot of men saying they wouldn't take what was previously known as partner leave or partner pay because it was at the minimum wage. And I think this really interesting conversation of saying, well, what are the barriers that we have for men actually being able to succeed? And I'm going to talk specifically in the role of a parent because that's one I guess I can speak to as a parent myself and also looking at how I'd like my husband to be supported mm. in his role because practically he is the 60% parent, I'm the 40% parent. So I don't feel guilty at all. He is a, he is a parent of the child. But what ultimately do I see as supporting him? Because what supports him is going to support me. Mm. For him having the flexibility to take that, the, the care, we call it carer's leave, but it's personal leave. So does he have the flexibility to do that? Does he have the flexibility to take time and be able to leave at a time when he can pick up the children from daycare yeah. or school? Is he actually encouraged to do so? Because if he is not in his organisation, that means that who does it fall on? Well, it falls on the other partner. Who is that partner? Well, that's often a, a female, not always, but I would say in a wide, wide majority of relationships, it is, is more likely that the maternal load then kicks mm. in. So what can we look at in terms of our practice, our policies, and that role modelling that I've talked to before? That is key because we look to others in any situation to know what is normal. This is culture. Mm. So if we see women talking about, and that's why I'm very open to talk about and say, oh, I'm a 40% parent. I, I want to share that because I think it's important that we start to see that this is okay. And for the CEO and the CFO and, and middle management to be taking time and saying, right, yeah. I've got to go now because I've got the kids carnival. Oh, oh. Okay, it's signalling that these things are okay. And the more organisations embrace the individual for who they are and mm. what they bring, not just professionally, but also all the attributes that they have and embrace the whole person, then we're going to feel supported. And when we're supported and we feel valued, we're going to actually be able to give more of ourselves when we're actually at work. So it is, it's, it's simple, but it takes time because... That, that cultural shift in an organisation can take, you know, 12 to 24 months. And we're talking about societal changes mm, here. Yeah. So really making sure, have you got that foundation? Have you got that foundation correct? Or are there still plenty of barriers in there? And then working up and seeing, okay, so how do we embed these behaviours into our culture so that it's actually accepted? And sometimes having some really, what would you say the word, groundbreaking policies or, or benefits in there that people go, wow, that's awesome. Okay, so how do we make sure that people are encouraged to do this and you start to set the example, as we can see with some companies looking at the, the four-day working week? Oh, yes, big fan of the four-day working week. Big fan in general of actually just people being able to decide 
how and when they live and work in terms of like that you used the phrase flexibility before, but truly being able to define what flexibility is for you and your family unit instead of organisations being like, we're very flexible. You're welcome to arrive any time between 8.30 and 9am and leave at any time between 4.30 and 5. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the flexibility, right? Like the having families and individuals, humans, being able to define what flexibility is for them based on their needs, which will also then change over time and being able to manage that themselves whilst also then being able to deliver on whatever their role is as well that for me would be the ultimate because then people are are able to define and be autonomous in the way that they deliver and live and lead their own lives but we're we're a bit of a way from that but I think to all of the advice you've just given and the practical advice around cultures it is a slow burn but we've got to start somewhere and role modeling and reviewing policies and stepping back and looking at or well, we might talk about this stuff as well at a top level. How is it actually translating through the layers of the organisation as well and really getting honest with ourselves about what that actually looks like? So fabulous advice. I have got a circling right back now to the start mm-hmm. of your to the start of your career. I would just love to hear from you. What is what is one from your experience, either growing up or in China, what what is probably one experience that you had or a piece of advice that you received? Do you think that really changed the game for you in the way that you view things? This is really interesting. And the answer I'm going to give isn't probably what you expect, but I'm going to talk you through. So as I said, I went into management at the age of 22, which means I was exposed to a lot of learning opportunities and working with subject matter experts and I remember going to a course and I must have only been, oh God, 23, 24. And I went to this learning course and actually one thing really changed me. You know, those pivotal moments in your life where someone says something and you're like, whoa, that, 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 that's a big deal. And you're really making me think really hard about this. And I'm getting exhausted, you know, thinking about this. And she asked us a question in the room. She said, think about this. You're sitting there and you're watching your own funeral. I'm like, whoa, this is confronting. She's like, what do you want people to say about you? And it made me really stop and think about, wow, that, that's the one time that people actually define you and say who you were to them and what was important to you and what you achieved. And that simple question, although confronting as it is, really got me to think about, well, what is it that I want to achieve in my life? Who am I? And not what I want people to say about me, but who I am and how can I be authentic to that so people know the real me and people embrace that. And when that day does happen, knowing that I've been able to make a difference, and it may only be a small group of people, but what difference is that going to make to me? And so that's really, you asked me previously a question. You said, Marcia, tell me about a book or a quote that has really shaped you and there's so many quotes out there we we can embrace in our life but one that's really close to me is from mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. and mother Teresa has said that honesty and transparency makes you vulnerable be honest and transparent anyway and for me 
It is about how can I be true to myself? So as I'm in a new organisation now that uses a totally different language from a cultural perspective, if that's not me, then I can't necessarily speak that language authentically. But what I can do is look at how can I embrace that language and put my own spin on it so that I'm still being authentic to myself, but also making sure that I'm understood in the context that I work in. So being authentic really for me is, is key to all of this and being transparent and talking about this journey and talking about you know, my own personal life in the professional sphere as well, because I am who I am and I am better for it, not in spite of it. I think that is almost the perfect place for us to leave it, Marcia, because you have just nailed that last question. I love hearing your story. I love, and speaking of honesty and transparency, I love all of that that you have just brought in, in bucket loads in this conversation. And I am very confident that the people listening in are going to walk away with, with so much insights and just reflective points, even for themselves in their own lives, whether they're currently parents, they want to be parents, or even if they don't want to be parents, but they work in a world with parents, because we all do, we all have got the opportunity to kind of think about not only how do we want to define that for ourselves, but how can we open the door and make it easier for other people as well. So I am very sure there will be people who want to get in touch with you following this podcast. So what is the best way for people to connect with you if they want to reach out? Definitely the best way would be through LinkedIn. So Marcia Lawrence, I'm sure there are many others out there, but working in Perth WA, so I'm sure you can find me very easily there. Absolutely. And I will drop a link to your profile in the show notes. Thank you so much, Marcia, for being on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I cannot wait to continue to see where you go in your career. You've got lots to give. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Claire. Well, that's it for another episode of the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. It has been amazing to have you here and I am always so grateful for you taking the time to pop me in your ears as you go about your day or night. Remember to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Eating Your Cake 2. And if we aren't connected on LinkedIn yet, reach out and say hi. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then I would love if you would leave a review so that others can find the podcast and come and hang out with me here too. Until next episode, you've got this. You can do it. You are doing it. And remember to back yourself and what you have to offer. Hey there. Thanks for hanging on and thank you again so much for listening to the podcast. I truly love having you with me, but I want to make sure that you know if you're ready to work together exactly how we can do it. The first way is through my game-changing Transform Your Career six-week accelerator program. This six-week online program is for busy professional women who are ready to regain control of their career and leadership once and for all. Go from feeling like just another employee to an in-demand asset in your company. Stop feeling lost, stuck and unmotivated and instead feel confident, worthy of earning more and armed with the tools to go out and get what you want. The Transform Your Career Accelerator cuts the crap and gets right to the key levers that you need to be pulling to ensure you are seen, heard and noticed at work. 
add to this an epic group of like-minded women all coming together to share insights, learnings, and to build a new network along the way. If this sounds like something you need, then join the waitlist now. The link is in the show notes. The second way you can work with me is through my private one-on-one coaching program, where I only take a very limited number of clients each year by application. My six-month private programs are for you if you know you need tailored coaching and guidance now. You want a container of space and time just for you to work through your exclusive and unique goals. You don't want to wait for the waitlist in my other programs because you know you want access to my brain and my experience all to yourself. If this sounds like you, then book a free call in my diary today and let's chat. Lastly, if you want me in your organization to come and share my tried and tested knowledge with your team on how we can all collectively elevate our own leadership and career success, then jump on my website and download the services info pack or grab it from the link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening.